Do you know that first Christmas in Bethlehem, there weren't brightly colored lights on houses? There weren't uh, stockings that had been hung with care with uh, visions of sugar plums dancing in the kids' heads. That wasn't going on either. It was just another night in Bethlehem. The census had gone out, the command by Caesar for everybody to be taxed. And how many of you like to be taxed? Isn't that fun? Yeah, well, Joseph and Mary were being taxed, and uh, the history was about to change Bethlehem from what it had been. All of Israel had been frightened uh, during this time. They were living with the tyrant King Herod. You know, the guy would kill people randomly. You never knew if your life was safe. Um, uh, the, the Jews were living in occupied territory. Rome had taken control of their, their country. They weren't, any, they weren't free to do and live the way they had wanted to. And they were wondering if Rome would ever live. That was the environment that Jesus was born into. And the Jewish people were wondering if their world would ever change. And suddenly, out of nowhere, an angel shows up on a hillside to a group of professional shepherds. And that's the Christmas story. Christmas is a celebration of an invasion. It's an invasion of the Son of God coming to this planet to show us what God is like. And aren't you glad for that? On the back of your programs, there's an outline, and, and you can track with uh, the blanks, and you'll notice there's a lot of blanks today. So your pins will be put to good use. Before we jump in, let's pause for a moment and talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for another angle of the Christmas story. We thank you, Lord, for this professional group of men, the shepherds, who received the first birth announcement of your son. What did they do with it? That's kind of uh, is thrown in our lap as well. What are we going to do with Jesus, the message of Christ, the good news? So today, Lord, help us to open up our minds, our hearts to hear what you're saying to us individually. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, number one is God meets with me. Let's look at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Notice uh, the shepherds didn't get a text message. They didn't get an email. They didn't get a postcard. Hey, shepherds, uh, we want you to meet in Jerusalem, uh, the religious epicenter of the world. We want you uh, to experience the birth announcement right where you're at. And that's the cool thing about God is that he shows up where you're at. You don't have to go on a mission, and some people have done that in history, man. They've gone on a mission to search for God in hopes of finding him. Well, the good news is God shows up right where you're at. In fact, you can't get away from God. Some of you wish you could, right? Man, I wish I could go to get away from his presence. No, you can't do it. You can't do it. Why? Because God loves you so much. He doesn't want to torment you. 
But he wants you to be made aware that he cares about you and has a plan for your life. And ultimately, he wants to have a relationship with you so that you will spend eternity in heaven with him. So we're looking at this, uh, this, um, the context of Bethlehem. Let's take a look at it. Uh, we looked at this map last week, but Jerusalem uh, was the religious epicenter. That's where all the theologians lived in that day. And they hung out together. They lived in a bubble, you know? And they thought, man, we've got it, we've got it together. God is so privileged to have all of us wise men, you know? All of us, all of our, all the theologians hanging out together, you know? Solving all the world's problems. God chose not to show up there, but instead, five miles south in this little town of Bethlehem. Let's take a look at Bethlehem today. It's, you know, you can see all these churches, right? Well, back in the day when Mary and Joseph went there to have their baby, it wasn't like that. It was just a very small community. But because Jesus was born there, all the religious communities have come together and made Bethlehem kind of a, as you can see, there's a lot of shrines and churches showing up there. So the good news is, that God came, not to the religious community, you know, where religious people think they have all the answers, they know all about God, but they don't know him personally. That's what religion does. There's no relationship. And so instead, God chose to make that first birth announcement to a group of men who socially were despised in their culture. In fact, leprosy, those, you know, back in November we talked about leprosy, that when people had leprosy, they would have to yell out wherever they were in a group of people, unclean, unclean. So everybody could see the lepers coming and they would move away from them. The shepherds, their profession was just one step above being a leper. They couldn't, they couldn't go to court to be a witness uh, anything they said, they, they were second-guessed. They were looked at as despised, as being very low in the social order of things. And yet God showed up to a group of shepherds, these men taking care of sheep. And so the good news this morning is, uh, as Emmanuel, God is with us. God shows up where we are. In Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. I'm so glad for that. God loves each one of us. Robert Fulgram wrote the book, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. Is that true? Everything you know today, you learned in kindergarten? <laughs> for Robert Fulgram, he did. Uh, and in the book, he writes about the neighborhood kids who were played in hide-and-seek, and this one dude uh, ended up in, his, in Robert's front yard. In fact, Robert had a picture window, and right outside the picture window, he had a pile of leaves. So one of the kids hid under, that, under the pile of leaves. So Robert was watching this whole thing transpire in the neighborhood, and all, and all of these kids, one by one, they were being found, except for the one dude hiding outside his picture window. And so Robert thought he'd have some fun. And he terrorized that kid. 
He went out the front wind, out the front door and yelled at him, and the kid burst out of the leaves and ran all the way home. He was traumatized for life. And so Robert says, hey, that's how it is in life, hide and seek. The good news is that our Heavenly Father is not a father who's played in hide and seek on humanity. Instead, he's playing sardines. I don't know if you guys ever played sardines growing up, but it's hide and seek in reverse. Yeah, so, so when you're hidden, one dude goes, goes and hides and everybody else finds him. And when they find him, they just kind of join the party. Hey, man, let's hide together. We're going to have a party. Kind of like this, you know. They're playing sardines. Jesus came into this world and he shows up with these shepherds and he says, hey, let's play sardines together. Let's do it together. You can learn about me. And that's exactly what happened. So Ephesians 1.11 in the message, it says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Aren't you glad for that? Not played in hide and seek. He was playing sardines, man. He shows up in the world and he says, I want you to be part of my family. He had designs on us for a glorious living part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. And he was doing it in the shepherds' lives as well. But that wasn't the end of the story. Number two, fear rushes in. Verse 9b, they were terrified. Would you be terrified if an angel showed up in your world unexpectedly? It's possible. It's possible. But I can tell you this, fear rushes in. God was about to mess up these shepherds' lives. And uh, I remember, oh, in my younger days when I was navigating my faith walk and... and, um, uh, there was a time when the opportunity of going on a missions trip for a month was made available, and I remember sitting there thinking, I can't do that. You know, I can't do that. Why? Because fear rushed in. Thinking about that possibility of, of going on a missions trip overseas for a month, I didn't think I could do it. And finally, I said to myself, you ever talk to yourself, self? If that opportunity is made available one more time, I'm going to put my name on the list, and that's exactly what happened. That opportunity came up one more time, and I stepped on fear. Because fear wants to paralyze you. In fact, as we're moving into a brand new year, you may be sensing that God is pushing the envelope in your life. That, hey, I want you to step it up in this area. Ah, you think, oh, man, that's, that's frightening. I've never done that before, you know? For some, it may be as simple as this. You have never, you have never raised your hands to worship God, you know? You have, you have built in five-pound weights on your fingertips, you know? Never done it before. Because I, I, I remember going through that same thing. Never did it. Don't know if I could do it. And it's something as simple as that, you know, where you, you can even start out here, halfway. <laughs> I could do that, you know. And then work it up. Just work little by little, man. Whew. Something as simple as that. 
sharing your faith, whatever the case may be, there's something that God is pushing the envelope. Come on, come on. Wanting a little more of you, allowing him to invest in your life. Oh, that makes us so scared. God, you might send me somewhere that I don't want to go. You'll want to go. You'll work it out. So fear rushes in, and um, uh, I like 1 John 4.18, perfect love expels all fear. You know, uh, just last week, uh, the headlines were China closes megachurches before Christmas, and there's a whole litany of things going on in China right now, and we know politically uh, there's some conflict going on with the United States and China. But I want to tell you something, man. In China, God is doing some cool things. He's doing incredible things. And the communist country is beginning to go in panic mode because so many Chinese people are placing their faith in Christ. And so they're closing down these mega churches. They're tearing down crosses from steeples on the churches. They're arresting pastors and congregants, interrogating them. In fact, another headline, China tells Christians to replace images of Jesus with their communist president. Why? Because the Chinese government is in panic mode. Do you realize that in 1949 there were 5 million Christians in China? Today there's over 128 million. Huh? I'm telling you, man, God is doing something. Now let's put ourselves in these fellow believers' lives right now, thinking when they go to church or, you know, when they have a Bible study or whatever the case may be, the government is watching. Do you think fear is factoring into their relationship with Christ? Yeah, it probably is. But you want to know something? That fear doesn't paralyze them in having that love relationship with Christ. No matter what it means, they're willing to pay the price. And I want to tell you something. Fear is knocking on your door as well. It's there to paralyze you, to cripple you from becoming all that God wants you to be. And I want to encourage you this morning, just like these shepherds on that hillside. They could have stayed on that hillside. They could have stayed the same way they've always been. They could have died at old age and say, you know what, I've got a bunch of regrets, man. That I never stepped out. I never followed the course that God had for me. Do you want to live your life like that where it's filled with regrets? I hope not. That's where these shepherds were. Fear rushes in. Number three, what joy. (laughs) I like this, verse 10a, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. What does that mean? What does that tell you? That means that one angel recognized the fear on these men's faces. Can you ever look in somebody's face and, and see that they're afraid? Huh? Yeah, you can, you can see it. You can see it in their eyes, their facial expressions. The angel could see that. He said, I, I recognize you guys are afraid. It's okay. It's all right. We're not finished here. We'll get through this. And so, so he says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Listen, man, when you get your Christmas cards and they've got all these nifty-looking nativity scenes, you know, 
and little baby Jesus in the manger. It just looks so stress-free, doesn't it? But that wasn't the case back in that day, you know? Rome was a powerful enemy. There was a lot of change going on in their culture. They wanted somebody to come in and overthrow the Roman government. And they were expecting the Messiah to do that very thing. But guess what? Something bigger was happening. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The King over all. He was ruling and will ruin. So, what joy. Let's talk about that. What joy. There's some of you this morning that really... Uh, this angel that says there's going to be great joy, you know? I've got some good news. Uh, It's possible that you don't feel very joyful this Christmas. Uh, Kelly Flanagan wrote an article, The Most Wonderful Painful Time of the Year. And she tells a story about several years ago when her son Quinn was in kindergarten. He opened a present on Christmas morning, and he wasn't happy with what he saw. And he set it aside and he looked up at his mom and declared, we're going to need a receipt for that one. (laughs) Okay, okay, that got mom's attention. I need to work on some gratitude here, you know. This kid needs to be appreciative. Um, And so, you know, she kind of worked through that. But then she started thinking about his response. Uh, we're given the gift called life, and oftentimes as we unwrap it, there are parts of it we would like to return, right? Usually we want a receipt for the painful parts. We don't like those painful parts. Dina Martin put it this way, a prayer for the grieving at Christmas. She said, if I could sum up the year with one word, it would be loss. Yes, we have had some wonderful blessings this year, but the blessings have been far outweighed by huge losses. I've spent the last eight months doing everything I can to keep my faith strong to trust God. Perhaps you understand. Perhaps you too feel as if this year has been a nightmare, destroying your peace and security. Perhaps you feel as if your life is crumbling, collapsing. Perhaps you can no longer hold the tears No longer pretend everything is just fine. If you're consumed by grief this Christmas, you're not alone. And she she goes on in the article talking about taking that pain to Christ. And finally, Stephen Altridge, he's a a pastor. And uh, the title of his article caught my attention, Jesus is for people who hate Christmas. (laughs) Nice title. And he goes on, "Don't, don't get me wrong, I really do like Christmas, he says. But Christmas often brings out the gloomy side of me as well. And he goes on this little uh, tangent where he starts remembering people that he cares about who have suffered through the year, family members that have suffered through the year. And then he he says, I'm reminded of my own ongoing battles with intense physical anxiety that he has to deal with. And he says, after the trees down and the wrapping paper put away and the music silenced and the eggnog polished off, all the problems still remain. And then he goes on to say recently that he had read Matthew 8 and 9. And he saw Jesus walking through this world and how he dealt with crises and problems. And he says, wherever Jesus goes, he brings the reign of God. 
Christmas is ultimately about the kingdom of God coming to this sad, broken, sin-marred world. Christmas is ultimately about a baby who would grow into a mighty warrior, a warrior who would crush Satan, undo sadness, defeat death, and ensure that it would always be Christmas and never winter. Now we are afflicted by sin and Satan in our flesh, but not always. Ultimately, Christmas should give the most hope to those who hate Christmas. Things won't always be this way. As it says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus came to wipe away tears and heal broken bodies and lift up despondent hearts and drive out fear and destroy loneliness. If you're feeling gloomy, take heart. Jesus is for those who hate Christmas. Woo! He gets it. Many of you this morning have experienced loss and pain this past year. And it's okay. It's okay to feel that pain. But what we need to be reminded of, this is not going to last forever, friend. This is not our home here. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And he's doing it. And one day we will be with him in heaven in that perfect environment. But here's the deal in the message of Christmas. Jesus, Emmanuel, is God with us. And in that time of loss and in that time of pain and in those crises, he promises to walk through those steps with you and with me. I'm so glad I have a God like that, aren't you? He doesn't pack it up and call it a day and say, man, you're on your own. Good luck. No, that's not the God we serve. And so, number four, coming off this joy, here's the great good news. Verse 10b, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Bethlehem was called the city of David because, yeah, when David was in his teens, he was a shepherd too. In fact, David watched his sheep just outside of Bethlehem in the same area as the shepherds are watching their sheep. It's a pretty cool thing. Samuel came to David's home looking for the next candidate to be the king of Israel. And David, the seventh son, was out watching the sheep in his very hillside. And so it's pretty cool. Back in that day, David was a shepherd. Yeah. And now we have these shepherds who are watching the sheep getting that first birth announcement. And I like Micah 5 2, 700 years before this event took place. It was prophesied, but you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel. Who's the ruler? It's Jesus, whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Man, there you have it. The city of David, Bethlehem. These shepherds hanging out getting this great news, this great news that the Savior 
has been born. Nancy Dugan was four, year old, four years old at the time, and she's uh, kind of going back and remembering this, this event. She said, my, my parents, my four older siblings were kind of bracing me, you know, hey, what Christmas is all about, kind of like what Linus did for Charlie Brown there. You know, the real meaning of Christmas, that's why we give gifts and so on. And um, a few days after Christmas, after Nancy had opened up her gifts, she was talking to her older sister about how great Christmas had been that year. And she says, I sure hope Joseph and Mary have another baby. (laughs) And for Nancy, it was all about babies. You know, that's that's what Christmas is all about. (laughs) And... uh, this, this great good news, it's not about gifts for ourselves, of course. It's about the greatest gift, Jesus coming as a baby, which I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. So what does that do? What is this great news, this good news? What, what do we do with it? Well, number five tells us in verse 13, we need to celebrate and sing. Yeah, man, we, we take that next step. We hear about this good news. What do we do about it? Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So one angel shows up, uh, gives the birth announcement about Jesus, and of course the shepherds are kind of in panic mode, and the shepherds kind of walking him through the steps, And then suddenly, the angels joined by a vast host. Do they teach you what a vast host is in math class at school? Huh? Is it it 50? Is it 150? Is it 1,500? No. A vast host is beyond counting. It's beyond counting. There's not a number big enough to put on the vast host. And we see that this vast host... um, They were praising God. They were singing. They were celebrating. Now, here's the deal. In heaven, in heaven right now, we're told in Revelation 7 that the angels, all the angels are bowing down and worshiping God. That's what they're doing right now. And that's what they were doing back then. But they said, oh, man, there's something cool going on down there. This great news, we've got to go down there and join the party. And remember the song we were singing? Do, 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 do. Remember that? I can see the vast host singing that song. (laughs) Do, 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 do. They were celebrating the fact that Jesus had come to this earth and that people would put their faith in him. And they would be participants in heaven with them as they worship Almighty God in heaven. They were pumped. They were excited. And they couldn't stay in heaven. They had to come down here on that hillside and hang out with those shepherds, man. And they had the screen. They brought their temporary screen so the lyrics could be put on there and the shepherds joined in with them. Man, there is something about singing your heart out to Almighty God. You know that song, Come, Let Us Adore Him? Last song we sang. 
I was listening and I was singing that song last week. It's powerful. I felt, where's the manger? You know, I don't need to go to the manger because Jesus is with me. Wherever I am, I can worship him. I don't have to go anywhere. And so, celebrate and sing. Back in April 2014, there was a a 10-year-old, Willie Myrick, who was out front of his house in Atlanta. And somebody drove up, got out of the car, threw him in the back seat, and told him to be quiet. Did Willie obey? Willie Myrick, uh, he bravely disobeyed that order. And he began to sing this gospel song called Every Praise. You see, Willie grew up, his parents were atheists. Things weren't good at home, and so his godmother took him in her home and raised him, bringing him to church and developed a passion for the Bible with him. And so when Willie was put in a crisis mode, the only thing he could do was worship God. He sang every praise for the next three hours. And the kidnapper swore at him and tried to threaten him to shut up, but he wouldn't do it, man. He just kept singing for three hours. And finally, the kidnapper says, I can't take it anymore. Get out of the car. Get out of here. And so Willie called his godmother and back home. Got to tell his story. You see, he learned the secret, no matter what you're going through, we still need to celebrate and praise Almighty God because he's worthy. He is worthy. Psalm 57, 7, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. What's the psalmist doing? He's talking to himself. Right? Hey, heart, you taking a nap right now? Snap out of it. Snap out of it. Wake up, my heart. Wake up. O lyre and harp, I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches the clouds. A great place to go when you're going through a rough time or even a good time is to go to the book of Psalm and find yourself there, man, because it's It's real. Man, it's, it's, it's every emotion possible, but it always comes back, I will praise you, almighty God. It's a songbook. And so celebrate and sing this great news that was told to them. Number six, choose to move. So what happens? What happens when we hear this good news? What happens when we start worshiping the Lord? Huh? We need to choose to move. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven. Where did they go? They went to heaven. They had to get back to heaven. Man, I've got to worship God some more. This is so cool. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby Lying in the manger. Wow. You know, put yourself in these shepherd's sandals for a while. How would you have responded when a 
angel and even a vast host of angels show up in your world, would you, you know, they could have said, hey, let's, let's take a vote. Do, do we want to go to Bethlehem? Do we want to leave our little sheepies out here? You know, there's predators all around. Uh, we may lose our jobs. We may lose our profits for the quarter. Uh, do we really believe that angel, what he was talking about? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know if we should do it. They could have gone through this whole litany of things, man, doubted, ignored, debated, and even rejected. We're not going to leave this hillside. We've got a job to do. Shepherds didn't do that. They chose to believe. Isn't it interesting? Choose to move. When the angels return to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, they, what did they do? They chose to go. Right? They chose to go. Let's push the envelope a little bit this morning. Some of you need to choose to move. Get off dead center a little bit here. You know, you've been paralyzed. You've been stuck for how long? Spiritually. It's time to choose to move. We, we have that gift. I was talking to this dude last week about the Lord. I felt like I should. And he said, I don't believe that. I said, isn't that cool? God loves you so much, he's given you that gift to choose to reject him. I don't believe that. <laughs> fine. That's fine. But aren't you glad that God didn't make you into a robot or put in artificial intelligence, you know, when he hits a button, boom, you automatically have to worship him? That's not love. These shepherds chose to go to Bethlehem. These shepherds chose to believe what the angel had told them. Just like you and me, we have to choose what we believe. We can know all about God, but that doesn't save you. You have to believe. You have to put your faith in. That's movement on your part. And so, you know, these, uh, these shepherds, let's hit that pause button for a moment. Being a shepherd was not something where, as a boy, they would say, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd because everybody will esteem me. You know, I'll, be a, I'll have my picture on the cover of Time magazine. You know, That's not, that wasn't the case. Shepherds were despised. They were rejected. They had a mark on them in their culture. They were inferior. They were the low of the lows of anything that you could ever do. That kind of thinking could have stuck with them to say, you know what, guys? We're a bunch of shepherds. We can't go into Bethlehem. We're just going to get laughed at. Just like Charlie Brown, man, when he got laughed at by all his buds. You know, they're just going to laugh at us when we tell them the story. We can't, we can't do that. We can't go see the baby Jesus. They could have talked themselves out of it because of their inferiority complex. Their we're not good enough way of thinking. Can I tell you, so many people live their lives stuck with that mindset. I'm not good enough for God to love me. And I'm so glad, like Sharon Janice, she says, um, 
Man, my family lived in a nice neighborhood. You know, we, there were two kids, a dog named Lassie. Everybody thought from the outside we had a perfect family. But I, she said the inside, the atmosphere was one of hostility and fear. My parents, man, they, they had a rough relationship. I remember hiding in my closet and holding my hands over my ears and squeezing my eyes shut to block the visual images by their voices that were screaming at each other. Mm. I remember pulling up the covers tightly under my chin, praying I would hurry up and go to sleep to shut out the noise of my parents fighting. And as a child, I always felt like I was in the way. That's how kids are. When there's conflict in the home, they, they blame themselves for it. She said, strands of inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy began to weave an invisible yet indelible grid system over my mind. I felt I wasn't good enough, smart enough, or pretty enough to deserve love. By age 12, those feelings of not enough were cemented firmly in place. I was scarred in a scarred little girl who kept her mouth shut by day and her eyes closed by night, but God didn't leave me that way. She says, don't you love those words, but God? When I was 12, my but God story began. My, friend, my friend's mom took me under her wing. Mr. and Mrs. Henderson, they loved each other and they loved Jesus. Mrs. Henderson did her housework while singing praise to, songs to God. She talked to Jesus and about Jesus as though she knew him personally. I spent as much time as possible at the Hendersons and started going to church with them on Sundays, and while my family went to church on Sundays, we had a religion. This family, the Hendersons, had a relationship with Jesus, and that made all the difference. I wanted what they had, and I found every excuse possible to hang out with the Henderson family. My mind was a sponge for Scripture. For the first time, I caught a glimpse of a Heavenly Father who loved me, so much that He gave His one and only Son as a sacrifice for my sins. God loved me, not because of how I looked or behaved, but just because I was his. Mrs. Henderson loved me, shared Jesus with me, taught me scripture. When I was 14, she invited me to place my faith in Christ, and I did that. Looking back at those tough days, I was headed for trouble, but Mrs. Henderson, without even knowing it, headed Satan off at the pass. At first, my parents were leery of my newfound faith, but my love for the Lord was hard to resist and deny. Three years later, my mother accepted Jesus as her Savior. Then three years after her decision, through a series of twists and turns only our Heavenly Father could have orchestrated, my earthly father gave his life to Christ. In a matter of six years, God worked an incredible miracle in my life and my family's, and it all started with one woman, Mrs. Henderson. That woman could be you. And that leads us to the next point. Show and tell. Verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Hey, it's Christmas season, and you see all those UPS trucks driving around, right? 
Yep. Delivering all those Christmas surprises to people that are waiting for those gifts. And yeah, those UPS drivers, they work hard this time of year. Um, but even though they have a big job, I bet you if we took a vote, they would be so happy they didn't have to buy those gifts. All they have to do is deliver them, right? Somebody else paid for those gifts in full. The UPS driver's responsibility is to deliver those gifts to the rightful people. That's the way it is in your life and my life. Jesus Christ paid for that gift of salvation in full. We're, our responsibility is like the UPS driver. We have to take that gift and bring it to the person that God paid for. If we don't take that gift to the person that God paid for, they'll never receive that gift. So God has you and me in those strategic places where we have the opportunity of bringing that gift, that free gift that's been paid in full to those people that God has brought into our lives so that they too can hear about this great message. Show and tell. The shepherds told everybody. Isn't that cool? So on the back wall, we've got these nifty Who I Am in Christ cards. And you may feel like, man, I'm not good enough to tell people about Jesus. Yes, you are. Because this is how God sees you. So I encourage you, man, if you're struggling like the shepherds could have, I've been paralyzed with all of those negative feelings of what everybody else told them who they were, I encourage you to pick up one of these and see what God has to say about you. Because that's what triggered those shepherds. They realized there was something more to it. The angel was right. And because of that, they were, they were prompted, they were motivated to go, not only and just see Jesus, but tell everybody else about what they had seen. You and I have that privilege of doing that very same thing. You know, for the last 30 years, we have lived in, our, in, in the same house on the same block, and we have, we have endeavored to tell our neighbors about Christ. There's one family that has lived there that same amount of time. Well, this year, they had a loss in their family, and they went through a crisis, and Debbie and I had the opportunity of walking them through that situation. Well, this past Friday, we got a Christmas card from them. And inside there was a personal note to Debbie and myself. And in it, it said, this past year has been a rough year. We have suffered the loss and the pain. But with your help, you have pointed us to Jesus Christ. My husband and I are now attending a church. Last month, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And in February, I'm going to be baptized in water. Boom! Listen, listen, listen. It's all about show and tell. We have a responsibility. We get to tell the good news, just like the angel came and gave that, that birth announcement to the, to the shepherds. We get to tell that same story. What Jesus did in our lives and how he can change your life. Man, that's exciting. And so, show and tell. Show and tell. Number seven, number eight, Mary's example. We can't forget about Mary, can we? 
But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. That word kept means to guard, to keep safe, to preserve, to treasure up in one's mind, a memory because of its value. Yes, Jesus was her son, but also Jesus was the son of God. Mary realized when those shepherds came, man, there's something bigger than I can ever imagine going on here. Mary's example is for you and I to dig deep, to read God's word, to get to know him better and keep those things in our hearts, to guard them, to treasure them, to realize this is where I was just a few years ago, and by the grace of God, this is where I am today, all because of what Jesus has done in my life. Let Mary's example encourage you and I to dig deep, to find out who Jesus is, to model his character, and tell others about him. And number nine, whistle while you work. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, Whistling while they worked for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You're messing with me. Yeah, I am messing with you. They went back to their flocks glorifying. That word glorify means to praise, to magnify, to celebrate, to make glorious. To praise. So that's what that is. Praising God means to sing praises in honor to God. So they went back to work. Not only did they whistle, but they sang praises to God while they were watching their sheep. They didn't do that before they saw Jesus. They were kind of stuck in that, woe is me. They had their violins out. Man, we're only shepherds, you know. We're a bunch of nobodies on this hillside with these sheep. No, 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 not anymore. When they saw Jesus, man, boom! Because they put their belief in him, their lives were radically changed. They go back to work, and they worship. Hey, what's going on at work at your place, man? Well, I can't put on on worship music, but you can put it on in your head. Yeah. Do people know you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you whistling while you're working? In other words, is there a smile on your face? Because you're modeling the character of Christ. You are representing Christ at work. You're representing him at school. You're representing him in your neighborhood. Yeah. Whistle while you work. That's quite a privilege. A group of Korean business leaders came to the United States recently and they were all followers of Christ. They told the plight of the North Korean believers. And this is what they said. There's been terrible persecution and thousands have died for their faith, yet many still worship despite danger and death threats. When they gather, it's in complete secrecy, and when they sing, it's done in silence. They open their mouths in unison, but they allow no sound from their voices for fear of being overheard. Overheard. Aren't you glad this morning that you don't have to open your mouths in unison, but you get to celebrate and sing the birth 
of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Emmanuel, God is with us. You have that privilege. Yeah, yeah. Let's take full advantage of that. Let's, let's get involved in choosing to move where God wants us to go, to represent him, to celebrate and sing, to show and tell, to speak about that relationship we have with Christ and point people to the Savior of the world. Let's do that in full capacity. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege we have to represent you, Jesus. As a Christ follower, our names are written in the book of life. We don't have to wonder if we're going to get to heaven. We know, we know because of what your word says, Lord. We thank you for the privilege we have this Christmas season to represent you, to deliver that free gift of salvation to those that you have placed in our lives. And this morning, Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have, even here in this place, to tell you how great you are as the shepherds came and they worshiped you. So, Lord, this morning we've come to tell you how great you are. I pray, even now, as your Holy Spirit has been speaking to us, areas that we need to choose to move in this coming year, to get off dead center, to move closer to you, Lord. Help us to do it in your power, in your grace. Jesus' name we pray.